Hey, welcome to Win the Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost, and welcome in to episode 72 of In the Shift. Uh, thanks to those of you who've been responding to the last couple of episodes. Uh, we've been talking about purity culture with sex and relationships coach Meg Cowan. So if that's a subject you're interested in and you haven't yet listened to those, then you can go back and listen to our last two conversations. And I know that is a topic has that has had a big impact on many people. We've heard that a lot this year as people have been processing maybe out of toxic church systems or out of mega church environments or all sorts of kind of more conservative uh, evangelical spaces. Purity culture is something that has kept coming up. And I think it has been one of the hardest things for many folk to actually process in in the journey of deconstruction or rethinking faith or whatever language we're giving to that. Um, it is such a, a direct impact, right, on our embodied experience of the world and of our humanness. Uh, so many of the beliefs we might pull apart, we find are in fact beliefs that kind of sit out in the abstract world and while they've become very important to us, they don't necessarily have a direct impact on the most uh, personal and embodied parts of what it is to be us. Uh, and purity culture seems to connect to that conversation much more directly, you know. And um, and so when deconstruction hits those conversations, it can be delicate and it can be careful work to unpeel the layers and find out what health might look like on the other side. So keep sending in your responses or thoughts or questions you have as you listen to those. It may well be a topic we need to circle back around uh, on again at some stage in the future. So um, we'd love to hear from you. In today's episode of In The Shift, Shane Meyer-Holt and I have a great talk with journalist, documentary maker, podcaster, David Farrier. Many of you will know if you've been following the conversations on the megachurch this year through In The Shift or through the media, that, and especially in New Zealand, that David, through his Webworm newsletter, was responsible for breaking a number of stories of burnout, of trauma, and a lot more from past and present members of Arise Church, which was New Zealand's largest megachurch. And his dogged reporting on this also seemed to open the floodgates for people who needed to talk about their difficult experiences, not only at Arise, but at similar styled churches around New Zealand, Australia, and other parts of the world. Um, David has been seen, I think, by, by some as, well, I know, by some as some kind of enemy of the church, someone trying to take down Christianity. But as we've talked about a number of times this year along the way in this conversation, naming harm, assault, abuse, and toxicity in the church uh, is not an attack. Uh, if we see that as an attack, that's that's a problem. All right? it's, it's actually a challenge to the church to live up to the story it tells about itself, or at the very least to just, I don't know, stop systemically harming people in the pursuit of growth and glory. Uh, so we wanted to talk to David, not as an enemy of the church, but you know, talk to him about his reporting this year, about his own journey of growing up with an in-faith environment, what led him to the whole webworm thing, um, how he now is someone who really is an outsider to the church and even more so to, to mega church systems, how he sees uh, the stuff that many of us have experienced as insiders because those perspectives do give us different insights. Uh, and it's a great combo. I'm really grateful for David taking the time to talk with us here. Um, you'll hear towards the end that David's also got uh, a new documentary coming out soon, Mr. Organ. So um encourage you to go see that, check it out. Uh, just before we get to it, you can get in touch with us anytime via email, feedback at intheshift.com or via the socials. You can also support the work of In The Shift by going to patreon.com slash in the shift. And if you have a few bucks a month or more, of course, but you know, just a few bucks a month, you can spare to help keep this work happening. That'd be a huge help to us. Only if you can afford it, of course, and if it's something you really want to do. So this is episode 72 of In The Shift. Let's get into it.
today on In The Shift podcast, uh, we have two guests. Well, one's not really a guest, Shane Meyer-Holt, In The Shift regular in 2022. And uh, and we are joined by the David Farrier, journalist, documentary maker, uh, creator of Webworm, provocatively titled, and, uh, and many things. A very busy man, by all accounts, uh, from what I see coming out from his world. So thank you, um, David in particular, for joining us today. So good to have you. No, thanks for having me here. I, I listened to your podcast and it, yeah, it's a little bit uh, sort of fearful coming on here because your guests are very eloquent and they have a lot of knowledge and I feel like I'm a little bit more, uh, you know, I work in journalism, so I know a lot. Uh, a little about a lot as opposed to sort of deep dives on things, but I hope I can be of use to you and whoever's <laughs> listening. I'm, I'm glad we've got you on the back foot already with, you know, your, your imposter syndrome kicking in. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, That's and this excellent. is the first time Shane and I have ever uh, have, have jointly interviewed someone. So we'll also oh, be true. competing a little bit for oh, attention. All right. And uh, yeah. interesting. Um, the dynamic well, gonna, between the two of you. Yeah. Trying to yeah, one up see if the questions a bit. Gets fiery. Yeah. Uh, Rory the cat <laughs> has also ju- just joined, oh. tinkling his bell next to the microphone. So sorry. Rory, Rory is a beautiful addition to the Zoom screen. <laughs> oh, he's lovely. Gorgeous isn't he? cat. Oh, beautiful he's so... gray, white colors, very affectionate mm-hmm. to the classic mm-hmm. head push into your body to get some rubs. Some smooch. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. He's a good cat. He's the cat of the podcast. Um, it's so lovely to have you here mm. and it's nice to chat again. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, obviously this is just a blatant listener grab for you because In The Shift has got, I don't know, maybe 17, 18 Instagram followers now. So I can expect your um, your well, numbers are going to be- blowing up. <laughs> yeah. Your numbers are going to be boosted very shortly. Um, obviously, we're here to talk about uh, your work on megachurches, uh, particularly in New Zealand, but some will know and some won't that you actually grew up in church. So this isn't entirely foreign ground for you. Um, in fact, we we lived in the same city at mm. the same time and somehow didn't cross paths, which is, you know, very di- very disappointing for me at least. It is. It's pretty, <laughs> no, it's pretty interesting, isn't it, actually, when you see how small the world can be like that. Yeah, I think it's probably more to do with the fact that how small New Zealand, New Zealand is, oh, but you know, once you go, well. once you go New Zealand and then you go Christian, yeah, things, things get very small very quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> that. So, yeah, like I, I guess just for a bit of background, like how how would you describe your kind of relationship with faith in the church growing up? Like, what was your what was your background? Obviously, from what hmm. we've read, it wasn't the mega church. <laughs> no, it wasn't the mega. I guess it would be, and this is where my um. Yeah, my my memories are kind of murky. I have a, a terrible memory of things, so this could sort of come through the murk. But I guess it was generally sort of a Baptist um, upbringing, always sort of Baptist churches. Uh, I grew up in a, a really like loving Christian household. Um, me and my older brother. Uh, I was probably the good one in the family. My brother early on was like the the badass, you know, he's played basketball and got up to trouble. I was always the very, um, sort of, you describe me as a teacher's pet, really. I was a very like, just trying to make everyone happy and and sort of be the good good boy. Uh, So I grew up... there's a recipe my, my for a parents. lot of ther- a lot of therapy there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, is, there is, but you know, I grew up in a Christian home, sort of Baptist um, orientated. Um, I was 
homeschooled probably until I was about 10 um, mm-hmm. or 11. I went mm-hmm. to primary school in Whangarei, uh, Manu Primary, and then I was mm-hmm. homeschooled for a while. I think partly because that twofold thing of homeschooling, I think part of it was my parents thought they could give me a better education, and they did give me a really good education. I sort of had the knowledge going. But I guess part of it as well, and I can't speak on their behalf, but it was probably giving me more of a Christian education as opposed to how the world works, as opposed to the worldly view of sort of evolution and that kind of thing. That yeah. that's I'm just speculating about that, actually. I, I think it was sort of tied in with that, and everything we know about homeschooling probably indicates that is probably part of the reason. And then I ended up uh, going back to school when we moved to Tauranga, and I went to Bethlehem College, which was a private Christian school. So that was a bit of a shock at the time because I was going from homeschooling where I had one friend, Sam, who lived mm. up the road. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say mum. I thought you were going to say mum. <laughs> Oh, no, mum. Yeah, mum. Mum yeah. too. Mum and Sam. Two friends. Mum and Sam. Yeah, yeah two friends. <laughs> uh, and yeah, going into a class of, you know, 30 people, I just remember it being so socially terrifying and mm-hmm. it was just, it's a was a big learning curve. But Bethlehem College was a private Christian school. Uh, I ended up writing about Bethlehem College on uh, Webroom as well because looking back at uh, that, yes. there were some interesting philosophies there. Uh, and all throughout that time, I was a, I guess you'd call a, a Bible-believing Christian or whatever the term was. Um, generally, uh, me and the people around me were young earth creationists, so literal interpretation of the Bible. Uh, everything was made in seven days. Uh, earth is about roughly 10,000 years old. Um, hell is real. Uh, heaven is real. Uh, we should convert others to Christianity Mm -hmm. in order to save their souls from the worst fate possible, which is an eternity of damnation and hell, Mm -hmm. which is literal, Mm -hmm. you know, fire and burning and screaming. And I I mean, mean, that's not going to end up problematic for you in the future at all. (laughs) Never. No, I don't see any any problem here. No no downsides. An early precursor to like the problems this sort of thinking creates is that I remember I would, I would have been young. I would have been, I don't know, nine or something nine nine ish eight ish and i just remember being so terrified of prayer and i i sort of realized that it's a real thing and so i'd think oh no what if i pray something awful and so i had mm. a, about a year of my life where i would like a thought would come in like kill the janitor you know because it's like when you say like yeah. don't think of an elephant you just think of an elephant so yeah. i'm like don't think of anything bad what if it happens and so all these thoughts would come into my head like awful things you know like mm. i pray that that person dies or i pray that that person something and these thoughts would come in and i'd sort of just walk around mumbling because I was trying to unpray the things that I'd yeah, like sent wow. out to God. Wow. So that's probably a precursor of like how much I believe this stuff and how yep. much it does affect you as an adult because it fucking mm. does. Mm. Uh, but I was really into that stuff and I ended up being head prefect at Bethlehem College. I would, um, you know, I was really, as I said, I was a teacher's pet. I probably wasn't the best choice of head boy. I was a big nerd. I wasn't great with people because I jumped through all the right hoops. Um, my, my grades were good. I ended up being head boy, and, and that just meant, you know, I'd open assembly in front of the whole school with a prayer, uh, all that kind of stuff. I was very into it, and then it wasn't until university that I started drifting away. But I've been mm. ranting for a long time now, so I'll let you jump <laughs> No, in. that's 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 super, super helpful. Is, I don't, I, this is a massive tangent, but it's just interesting to think about, like, journalism as a, as a long exorcism from um, being a, a, a loyalist for so long, like... <laughs> 
Because I was, this, your your description of your background is very very strongly parallel with mine, and, and in many ways Frosty's as well. Yeah, but um, I I am mm. also um a strong loyalist as well. So that that mm. sense of a really strong sense of doing the right thing, a really strong sense of if you believe something, following through on it. And um, for mm-hmm. personalities like ours, um, this mm. stuff really does get its hooks in deep. Yeah, it it does, and it it really um, yeah, it it. it it's it's funny, you know. I'm 39 now. I thought I'd dealt with a lot of my kind of stuff, but as I was writing about Arise, which is something that started my first piece I wrote in April this year, but I'd had people contacting me the previous year. But it was going back into that stuff that kind of made me realize that oh no, this stuff is still there's still stuff that's unresolved within me, and there's still things that I'm figuring out that I kind of just planted on the shelf because life gets busy and you're sort of busy doing other things, but. Yeah, I think part of the reason, I mean, I, I talked to you at one point in this process because I was just like, fucked. Like, I, 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 <laughs> I was just, you know, my goose was cooked. I felt exhausted. I felt I didn't know where to head next with this whole story. And it, a lot of that was because it was in the back of my head and the front of my head. It was all lining up with sort of things that had happened to me and the ways I saw the world and that just made it deeply personal and it was hard writing it not to get personal and at times I did I think if you look at the evolution of those Arise pieces they started very in your sort of typical journalistic fashion I tried to keep emotion out of it and tried to sort of keep those original pieces like that but as that church kept ducking and diving and you know reversing certain things I'd said my writing got increasingly personal and I was swearing and it was pretty clear that it was affecting me you know in a fairly in, intense way and whether that was a good thing with the writing or not is, is to be debated but yeah it, it gets it gets in deep and I think anyone it's my personal theory that anyone growing up if you're indoctrinated with these ideas early of heaven and hell being real and everything around it you know I was listening to your sexual purity episode that brought a lot back you're going to be able to work through it in your deconstruction, but I think there's like a part of your brain that will never fully, it's always going to be there, mm. um, this stuff. Mm. And I think mm. that uh, it's just something you need to sort of accept and just maneuver with for the rest of yeah. your life as you come to terms with it. But you're never going to be able to magic those very strange ways of yeah. seeing the world that you're given very early on. Well, they do They do tap into our core fears, hey, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll always be afraid that I've got it wrong and I'm going to hell forever. That's never, mm. that's, mm. I, I have a crippling fear of death. And, and that I think is tied in with, with all of that stuff, having the, after, having the afterlife. You know, growing up believing that all, all this stuff as strongly as you believed Santa was real when you were five, um, but believing that it's um, eternal hellfire is just, it, it, it really messes a brain up I think and as logically you will go oh no that I'm not in that world anymore or I certainly do but emotionally that all still is a fear and it it, it goes pretty deep hmm. yeah when you're a little person and you know you haven't got much choice about the way your neural pathways are forming you know and and when hmm. that story is woven through there you know the one of the one of that deep sort of um you know and I remember sort of the, the incident on the playground where I first said the f word and then had to, mm. you know, trudge off to the <laughs> ditch to repent lest, lest something happened before I had a chance, you know. Um, yeah, it's that, heavy stuff, yeah, it's isn't it? Yeah, it's a big terror to hold to like dealing a six-year-old or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah the, the guilt and the shame is a mm. big, big um, calling cards mm. of, I think, what we're all kind of raised with. Mm. So that, that stuff comes back. 
And and it's tr- it's tragic, you know, for for those of us who are still trying to uh, sift through this mess. Like it's it's tragic that, and and of course because it drives at those core fears, it's tragic that you know in any sense of kind of being held in a container of you know abundant um, and 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 incredible love, you know. Mm. That that's never the dominant story of anyone who's grown up in churches like ours. Like it's amazing how much the um the fear the fear and eternal torment um just completely supersedes um which yeah. it, which of course it would it, it wouldn't it should because those those two things are so antithetical and to 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 think you know the the ridiculousness of it is that that version of Christianity proposes that you can have those th- two things sitting side by side and the one that will really stick and the important one is love when um, mm. that's just not possible with the human psyche. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't quite work that way, right? At all. Well, no, if you've got, no. If you've got the, you know, the God who's like, I love you, come in and hang out. Don't worry about the screams from the basement. They're just all the people who said no, <laughs> um, but that's fine. <laughs> Say yes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, just enjoy it's, it's, relax enjoy yourself yeah <laughs> yeah why are you wound up so tightly at the moment? Yeah. why are you so stressed out i don't know why that is um before we dive a little <laughs> bit more into to maybe some of the, the arise stuff and the webworm stuff from from this year um you did i think may mention recently as you were talking about you got a live webworm event coming up in new zealand um mm. in a little mm. while um and you and it's being held at st matthew's in the city and you mentioned i think in in your announcement about that event that you mm. had in some ways landed at St. Matthew's in the city, which I'd imagine it's very well known for those who don't know in Auckland for being a much more sort of progressive liberal space. Um, what was that experience like, I suppose, coming into that kind of space uh, when you first did go off to uni and you're kind of then trying to figure out yourself in the world? Yeah, I mean, St. Matthew's in the city, you know, in, in central Auckland, I was at, uh, I did a year trying to get into medical school and then I did end up doing three years at journalism school. Mm. Uh, and I think it was that first year of journalism school that I was, you know, I my sort of my, I'd say my dis, my movement away from the version of Christianity that I knew was because in my first year of journalism school I, I met a friend who was Jewish and a practicing uh, Jew, and was just objectively a better person than me, kinder, um, just you know, just a much nicer person, and had it really together. And it sounds very naive and simplified, but it was very simple for me. Because um, I hadn't really been around anyone uh, of other faiths, and I sort of met her, and I was like, "Oh, okay." In my version of reality, you're off to hell for all eternity. In case I sort of bring you away from all your um, sort of deep religious beliefs, which seem kind of, you know, kind of great. I don't know if I want to sort of tear you away from all that stuff. Uh, and I very quickly from there, that was when it all started to unwind. Was that mm. second year at university? Uh, going, oh, you know, just very simple thought of it's just not correct that uh, it's just not a reality that people that believe something different to me um, who are good people are going to be sent to hell forever. That just didn't make sense to me. And so that was the beginning of the end. Mm. Uh, But that same year as I was sort of starting to go, oh, fuck, uh, I, you know, I ended up at St. Matthew's in the city. Uh, I don't even remember how I went there, but meeting the vicar there and also kind of there's another guy that worked there he's a really amazing cartoonist um at the time and it was just very funny in hindsight because they knew i was at journalism school they knew i'd come from a different city and was sort of trying to get money together sort of keep paying for their education um uh they said that they had a um a scholarship 
uh, for people studying and to apply. And so I applied and I think I ended up getting about $10,000 to go towards my journalism study. It was either 5000 or 10000 It was a decent hit of money and it felt very decent. They showed me a very different path and I was also struggling with... Um, beginning to struggle with my sexuality at the time. And that was a church that was very inviting mm. of other sexualities and genders. And I just never encountered that. And it was possible within Christianity at all. Mm. I was sort of blown away. And it was at that time I was reading, um, I think his name is John Selby Spung or Spong. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I honestly don't know his level of expertise in any field. But at the time, one of his books made a giant impact on me, just kind of like looking at Christianity through a different lens. Mm. And yeah, that combined with St. Matt's, combined with this Jewish girl I'd met, was a big sort of sent me down a very different path. And yeah, I guess interesting that a church essentially was helped me get into journalism. And then suddenly in journalism, I'm sort of allegedly taking down another church. You know, it's all a very funny sort of cyclical <laughs> thing. But I think it reinforces that point, and I believe it very strongly, that not all churches are the same. And a big criticism leveled against me, certainly by people that arise, is, you know, this guy's just got to be in his bonnet about Christianity and as mm. a whole. And while I certainly have issues with it as a whole, I have a lot of things with things as a whole. <laughs> certainly differing things on the scale, and I'm certainly not out to annihilate Christianity from the world. I'm just out to annihilate mostly narcissistic, uh, potentially insane men who are um, fucking <laughs> horrible. Yeah. That's more mm. my angle. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and systems that nurture them. Mm. Yeah, so mm. let's just let's just jump maybe to to obviously you made a bunch of uh, documentaries, um, fantastic ones at that. Mm. Uh, and at some point you ended up um, kind of pivoting into um, Substack writing on Webworm. Do you want to just yeah give us a bit of background about how Webworm began and. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was again it was a very all the things that I feel most passionately about I stumbled into in a very random way. It's not sort of a big plan. But essentially I was during the pandemic, uh, I was in New Zealand. I was in the middle of production on Mr. Organ, which is my documentary that's out very soon. Uh, but all that had stopped filming because there was a pandemic happening mm. and it's very difficult to film a documentary in the middle of COVID. Um, it's not like a you know a drama where you can sort of get around to mask up and have safety protocols. It's all sort of happening in unpredictable real time. And I was making a documentary about someone who probably wouldn't have been COVID compliant. So I was <laughs> at home like many of us, um, you know, trapped at home. I had wonderful flatmates. Uh, and Hamish uh, McKenzie, who's a New Zealander, uh, I believe he went to school with Samantha Hayes, who's an old journalism colleague of mine. He messaged and just said, hey, I've got this thing, Substack. I'm in America. I've started up this newsletter service. I think you might like it. And I read about it a bit and I, you know, I'd been writing for the spinoff up till then. If ever I had anything I wanted to write about, I would write it and it would go to the spinoff because I love those guys. But, you know, I talked it through with Hamish and the idea of, you know, you can write directly to people that want your writing. They want to sign up. They can get it for free if they want it for free. They can pay for it if they want to pay for it. That's an option. I really like that idea. Uh and I had a couple of bits of writing around sort of weird little investigations that didn't have a home. And so I started, you know, I sent my first one out about sort of the mystery of these missing puzzle pieces from a puzzle that someone had bought. And this company just notoriously all around the world, there were people getting these puzzles and they're like this one piece, which is this such a <laughs> gut-wrenching thing when you're putting a puzzle together. But I sent that out and I got a response <laughs> and I just kept going. And I, I the, my audience 
grew. People wanted to read what I was writing. And I had this direct line to people that I found really engaging. All my other work, you know, documentary, there's middlemen everywhere. There's layers. There's too many cooks, I think, is a way you could sum up when you're making something like that. Yeah. Um, like, a, you know, a Tickled or a, or a Mr. Organ or a Dark Tourist. It's great, but there's a lot of people involved. Mm-hmm. I love what I could do with a newsletter where it's just me direct to people and people can write back to me directly. And I just, I loved it. And so I kept going and, and eventually, yes, yeah, stumbled into more sort of investigative pieces like the, you know, Lonely Lingerie and New Zealand brand going down a QAnon sort of mad rabbit hole. And yeah, then Arise became the logical place to start writing uh, those pieces about, you know, yeah, so, over at Substack. So what... Um, I mean, clear, clear segue from puzzle pieces to Arise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's pretty totally. <laughs> Yeah, clear. No, I mean, it was just, it was, a, you know, I, I had this, I was talking to these people at this church and, you know, my options are, well, I can tweet about it. I could try and sort of write it for for the spinoff. I could, um, you know, start thinking about pitching it as a documentary. But Substack provided me with, uh, it was just a perfect home for it. You know, I can write two pieces a week. I can build on a story. I can send one out and see what comes back from that and write a part two and a part three and a part four. And it was just the perfect medium for it to happen. And what, I guess... Um, you know what? Is, what was the reason that this particular story, you know, gr- I don't know, grabbed you, or how did you end up even sort of bumping into to these first sort of stories that you were hearing, um, and you thought, yeah, there's something yeah, here to talk I, about, I, you know? Yeah, because I, you know, there are a lot of you know, arises far from the only problematic megachurch in New <laughs> yeah. Zealand, or the you know, the only problematic church in New Zealand, but mainly it was. And it's all down to the people that were brave enough to to speak to me. I mean, there's so much fear in this world mm. for a variety of reasons. But I just heard from a couple of people that were just, they decided to talk about it. And they had a lot of specific details that I could then use to dig further and deeper. And the stories just started stacking up. And, you know, it's one thing if you hear one story from somebody. Mm. It's another when there's another person that gets in touch and another and another. And... Just the number of people that I started being put in touch with uh, and just starting with the the interns and how they were treated. I knew that there was a lot of volunteer work at churches and a lot of pressure, but the way these interns were talking about their interactions with their superiors and the pressure they were under both emotionally and you know physically and but then then certain other you know and that was bad, but I couldn't quite figure out how to. Because you know, it's all fine and well to write about something, but when I write about something, I want it to get read and I want it to get the pickup and it needed something to cut through. And I think the, mm. the thing that I, when I realized it was, there was something in this was when I started hearing about you know, people going to leaders about uh, sexual assault or, mm. or rape and it essentially being hushed up very quickly. And th- there's a lot I've written about that I – certain details I couldn't write about because they got defamatory and tricky, but they are the truth. Mm. Um, but just seeing the way these this church dealt with bad things being raised and, you know, sweeping under the carpet is the basic way to talk about it. But, you know, you've got pastors flying to other cities, you've got these crisis meetings, and it's all just hushing this stuff up. And that's mm. when I got angry and I was like, oh, no, this is, a, this is a whole different beast. It's not just abusing students' time and energy and resources. It's actively trying to... Uh, keep this image of happy, clappy bullshit going while there's really horrific stuff happening. Mm. And that 
Plus, I just watched um, I just watched this, this documentary about Nexium, the sex cult, um, and Keith Ranieri uh, in the United States, you know, sort of a he was involved in a lot of uh, multi-level marketing schemes, sort of a businessman. He started this self-help kind of cult. Fast forward, he had an incredible amount of control over all his interns and just the language within that cult and and what happened. That was really fresh in my mind while I was hearing about how Arise mm. operated. Uh-huh. And when I started hearing where it was like uplining and, you know, t- and, and these people emailing me weren't, they were emailing me and they weren't saying this is weird. It was just the language they were using, you know, oh, this rape happened and then we had to upline it to someone. Not stopping to say what that word upline was, just dropping this lingo in. Mm. And that was another trigger because with stories I like, I always like the 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 important center of it, which might be a rape allegation or, or interns being mistreated. But I, I love added wacky stuff thrown in and stuff like uplining and stuff like that it just gives you that extra kind of spice to work with when you're trying to paint a picture of a place and so all that combined and then I knew that this was something that was absolutely a story and I had enough contacts and info and Mm. I could just blaze ahead yeah that language thing's you know interesting because it's almost they are like little alternate, and this is similar, not just not just a church-related story, but these kind of alternate universes that get built where they have their own vocabulary, mm. they have you know their own way of of talking, and and ways of talking that end up justifying all sorts of terrible things. Yeah, and you get it everywhere. I mean, you hear yeah. about you know the way Netflix operates its business practices and the the <laughs> lingo and the, mm. the the way that Netflix operates. You could argue that's cult-like at times, but <laughs> yeah, it always fascinates me when you just create a new way of talking and a new way of describing things and. Mm. Yeah, just the more people I heard from, the more it just seemed like. And, and these well, people were writing to me, and I was sort of zooming with them and talking to them, and they just were desperate to have a voice. And I think they were just kind of sick of it. And I think since the Arise stories, I think you know we've heard from members of different churches are starting to be more vocal about this stuff, yeah. um, and also probably realizing that stuff they thought was normal like, really isn't. Yeah, I think you mentioned um, quite early on in some of the reporting that. Certainly initially, you know, people were pretty cagey about talking, mm. Um, mm. you know, openly about some of this stuff. Is, is that, was that a surprise to you? Like, were you, did you expect that? You, you talked as well about the sort of level perhaps of fear people have about speaking about this stuff. Um, did that level of, yeah, of intensity did. surprise you in, in this space? It did a little. It did a little bit. I mean, it's always like this in New Zealand to a degree. People are very nervous about talking. It's small. They're worried it'll get back to people. Yeah, yeah, sure. New Zealanders are generally less likely to want to whistleblow. They mm. want to sort of just get on, head down. If something bad's happened, get on with their life. Mm. So it wasn't surprising in that way. But I was, yeah, I was surprised at the amount of paranoia mm. around it. And I think what I hadn't, yeah, you know, I still get angry. Uh, part of me gets frustrated that people can't just leave. And I get it because when you're in it, but like there's all these earnest discussions going on that I'm reading on, you know, people talking to me directly or on meme pages, just like, oh, what do I, you know, how do I, I can't, you can just go. I just want to <laughs> scream it. And your, walk life out, will walk be, out. your life will be a bit weird for a while. And I don't want to oversimplify mm-hmm. it because I know mm-hmm. people do have their whole reality tied up in this, but. That was my biggest fear when I left was that what even am I without this anymore? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you're a lot without that. Yeah. It's all there. It's it's a big trick that it's it's a fucking trick that you depend on them for your reality and, mm-hmm. and your meaning and having a meaningful life. And I just get so seeing that fear that people thought if they talk about this, they're gonna lose something 
when mm. I can just see it from my perspective, which is no, like you're gaining so much. So it was, I find it frustrating for them because I just want people to understand that you don't need to have that system around you to function. It's so much better if you can just go. So yeah, the fears around people talking was mainly the fear of if I talk, then I will be ostracized or this mm. might happen or that might happen. Mm. And from mm. my end, you know, they're not going to get, they're not going to get killed. They're not going to get assassinated. Their worries are to me are just, I get it, but I found it really difficult to contend mm. with because it's just such a frustrating thing because it, it's a fear that just shouldn't exist. And it made me mm. further annoyed at the church because it's a system that works. Mm. It's why people don't talk about this stuff and they do get locked in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons we wanted wanted to chat with you because of the the insider outsider um, uh, perspective, and that for those mm. of us who have spent time within these systems and understand what it's like for your world to shrink down and down and down uh, into mm. this 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 one group of insiders, where that becomes your whole reality. But then coupled with that, this kind of fear of the outside as well uh, as well, where you know the, the world outside is described in particular ways, and you know you had that experience meeting someone from another <laughs> faith, and it's just preposterous that that was the kind of first time you'd really encountered. S- and other in a way that was like, oh, like I've heard all these things about you and now I'm meeting one of you and it's not, doesn't line up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess like what, like what, what was kind of, I mean, cause you're kind of like dipping your head back into this, into this world in some ways mm-hmm. and that, that kind of the, the toilet of Christianity, but you're also, you're also, um, you know, you've also spent a long time out of it and hadn't kind of encountered this kind of coercion within the mega church scene. Like what, mm-hmm. what was surprising to you? Like what, what, what shocked you about the story, about what you were hearing? Just that what shocked me is the constant denial of reality, I think. Um, and just the idea that comes from deep within these places that, their version of the truth is correct. You know, I've, I've just got a 200-page document. I did a privacy request to Arise, which had been a long time coming, but I just thought, fuck it, let's just see what's in there. And just, uh, you know, most of it's redacted because um, they're cowards. And um, But, the, you know, the um, a lot of the content is them just flatly denying, you know, just putting me down, flatly denying that any of it's true. And it's just it's just that denial of, you know, this is members of their congregation saying that this awful thing has happened uh, and it all just being written off very quickly. And maybe that shouldn't mm. come as a surprise, but mm-hmm. just how quickly leadership jumped in in an institution that's supposedly sort of built on Christ's love and mm. all these ideas sort of built into Christianity. Um, that it was just so opposite to that. I, I just did find it surprising. There was not many points in this where people, actually at no point in this was any leadership in a rise like, oh, the, maybe there is something here and can we help, you know. It was just instantly mm. like walls up, shut mm. out, denial. Mm-hmm. And that's never mm. never stopped uh, to this day. Uh, and it's it was just interesting to see from, you know, an institution that is so outwardly, um, positive and loving, and that that was a big surprise. It shouldn't have been, but it was. Yeah, welcome to our world. <laughs> We've spent the last six months saying we shouldn't be shocked, but we are. It's <laughs> <laughs> the way, right? You think you've heard Absolutely. it all, and then you're kind of shocked again. Yeah, look, I've I've spent the last month. Well, last few months actually reaching mm. out to people within other organisations um, that there are similar stories about, and 
It is, again, that process of being just completely unsurprised and unbelievably disheartened that um, that mm. when you, you know, I, I have, you know, in, in past lives had relationships with these people and when you are talking to people within an institution that purports to be about about love, about care, about the marginalised and the vulnerable. Um, and there's very, very explicit claims of harm happening with the, within these organisations. Uh, how how to get through? Like how uh, I don't, I'm like at a, at a loss now of actually, like I don't know what else I can do to describe no. um, the fact that I think there's stories worth believing within this mix, even if they're all not true, that there's something, you know, if there's enough um, smoke, there's Any probably going to be some- of anything, yeah. Exactly. But, and, and like, it's, it's just mind-boggling to me um, how difficult it is to get anyone to c- take claims of harm seriously. Um, On instantly, you're, you're dealing with that really, which is irritating when you're seeing it happen, that language of minimizing, which you've t- again talked about on your podcast, but just they slip into a way of talking, which is just distancing themselves from any association of even acknowledging that it could have happened. <laughs> There's all these strange language that just sort of comes up automatically. But, you know, the constant battle I've had through this, and I still sort of trying to figure out how cynical these leaders are. And, you know, you know, I, I always fall back, and I think I'm probably wrong, I always fall back that like he genuinely thinks that he is saving souls, so anything he does is worth it. You know, anything, what's some rape or some uh, assault or some violence against someone mm. uh, if they are still going to go to heaven? Mm. You know, it, you, mm. you can take it when, you, when you've got the, when the, when the, the stakes are that big, you know, eternal life, and you genuinely believe that, you can permit a lot of awful stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it's that, but I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how much is that and how much is, no, we really like being treated like a celebrity and given, you know, rides to the airport and having a really mm-hmm. good salary um, and mm-hmm. we're just going to keep this alive and we must not lose it. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's something I'm still trying to... See, yeah, I'm trying to get my head around that still with some of these leaders. There are some that are just out and out pieces of shit. There are others, I think, that are coming from a place where they perhaps think they are doing the right thing, whilst clearly not. It's tricky, though. It is tricky. Yeah, I think it's certainly the case or that for some of them, they're at least telling themselves that they're doing it for the right reasons. Mm. Mm. But I think even their yeah, behaviour... You have to, right? Yeah, so you have to. Stay sane. Unless you're, you're a complete position. psychopath, in, you know, yeah. all the way through. Um, but mm. it's interesting seeing, you know, particular leaders like like the ones we've been talking about, like the, the John or the, the Brian, Houston, you know, the Hillsong mm. stuff, all that kind of thing. Um, Carl Lentz, who was a big deal in the mm. US and the Hillsong thing mm. there. How eager they are to make their comeback to the spotlight... <laughs> Doesn't take long. It doesn't take long, and that in itself tells you they're really missing being worshipped. You oh, know? yeah. The most recent, you know, I stay away from the the arise sort of messaging because it just winds me up too much because they're all <laughs> horrific people that are still um, in leadership there, um, and what their actions are horrific. Uh, you know, there was a line that they wrote in one of their latest things about a, you know, for a they're culturally they're being pretty cheeky and calling everything a hooey now, um, you know, mm. being sort of, I suppose, I think posturing to, to look inclusive, um, but everything they're doing 
uh, from anyone that sort of knows what who he consists of is not that. Um, and, you know, there's a line in there, we're, something like we're done looking at the past now. This isn't going to be about that. We're done with the past. And it's just, it made me want to scream because, mm. it's again, it's that what you talked about. You're not surprised by anything, but then you are surprised by everything. Yeah. And it's, oh, my yeah. goodness, you're, this is recent. This is, this, you know, this I leaked that pathfinding report only a couple of months ago now. It's it's not ancient history. and But their line is, um, we're shutting the book on that history now. We're all about the future. And it's just deranged, mm. you know. Mm. Um uh, yeah, it's it's maddening to me, and yeah, the you know they're they're keen to jump back again. You know, a bunch of people will be leaving. John Cameron's off to Australia; he'll be taking a lot of people with him. You know, he'll just be he'll start up another church. Mm. He can't help himself. Mm. It's like mm. it's mm. it's the partly the fame, and he, he possibly thinks God wants him to do it. I don't know, but these people can't just sit out for a moment. They've no, got to they've got right. to bounce back again. Yeah, they well, miss it. They it becomes, miss it too much. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, I mean, who wouldn't? Like, I mean, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't miss? You know, I mean, other than what it's doing to you as a as a human. But um, you probably don't notice that as it happens <laughs> that your soul is slowly no. being degraded and that you're becoming some. You know, um, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. I, I, I was mm. I was wondering whether um, I mean, I've had a couple of experiences of this, and I'm wondering whether you have as well of of people who have who have changed their mind on this stuff, who 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 started out broadly supportive, um, yet have come to a place where they've um had a radical turnaround. Um, with that, and, and and what you think that was for them that allowed them to change their mind on this stuff? As far as people within Arise, for example? Yeah, yeah, within Arise or supporters of, or, you know, or, I mean, you know, we're not just talking about Arise within this context, but there's, you know, plenty of other places and spaces that share similar stories. Like, have you have you seen yeah, people? I haven't, I'm yet, I'm sort of really yet to have a conversation with someone that, you know, any of the original sort of angry people about what I was doing that have sort of turned or all the, I haven't witnessed that yet. I, mm. it's only, only people that started to realize the the mess early on and sort of had already had their eyes slightly opened. I haven't had anyone sort of say to me, "I thought you were on the wrong path with this," and maybe now I see what your point was. Mm -mm. Um, mm. You know, I, I think it's been the response from within Christendom in New Zealand for me has been like overall incredibly disappointing. There's mm. been a, I could count it on one hand the number of. Mm. Um, Christians that have approached me saying, you know, we're anything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're not that or we, under, you know, or we disagree with that. It's been mm. very quiet mm. and mm. that's been pretty disappointing to hear as, you know, hear of as well. I mean. Well, it says yeah. a lot about what people are really trying to protect, right? Like, I mean, because everyone, like mm. Frosty and I don't want to be doing this. Like I've got, <laughs> I've got relationships I've lost through this. Like we, none of us, mm. I mean, you know, let alone the kind of emotional toll of, you know, we've also field, fielded out, you know, hundreds of stories around this stuff with people who've got in touch as well. Mm. And, and it's, there, there is a massive price to pay for it. But um, it says a lot about, I'm in a pretty good headspace. I mean, when I was talking to you a while ago, I was in a pretty bad space. I've sort of, mm. Stepped away from it somewhat now, and I feel better for it. But yeah, it's yeah, it does. It it, it gets under your skin because um, it's just the numbers of people that are being mm, yeah. churned out of these places. Uh, and it's that thing where you know when you're in the system, it's fine and it's great. But the second you're out, it's just it's you know it's um yeah it's it's, it's a yeah. quick change. 
Yeah. I mean, I've been yeah profoundly disappointed as well as I mean we you know we we are miles from being the most credentialed and you know <laughs> um, you know probably even most helpful people to be talking about this, but yeah, it, it really does say volumes about where the church is at as a whole that its ability to protect the institution as opposed to protecting the core of its message, which is protection and care for the vulnerable and those on the underside of power. Um, yeah, it's it's tragic. Yeah, yeah, it's no, it's remarkable, and I think, uh, yeah, it's part of it's just in New Zealand because it's small and people don't want to be publicly critical; they're afraid of blowback. Mm. Or, mm. but you know, I th- it's it's yeah, it's in, it's incredibly frustrating. But then it's all you know, a lot of these places they're all linked to each other, right? So there's always the support, even if someone is critical, they've got so much support from other churches that are exactly identical and yeah. you know it's been interesting seeing when a church fails in New Zealand they'll just pop off to Australia and they've got um, open arms there and an, a fresh start and you know the, the press won't know as much about them there and they can just kind of start again there's a network around the world of these places that all have each other's back so that's how they can just keep surviving it seems like one of the um one of the kind of threads through a lot of your work, and you, I think, even made allusion to it a, a little bit earlier. Like if you think about like Tickled, um, mm. a lot of this stuff through Webworm, think about Mr. Organ, you know, your new, mm. new doco. Um, a lot of attention on on bullies, right? It seems mm. sort of these, yeah, these bullying kind of narcissistic men. Um, what kind of, what fascinates you so much about about these these kind of figures? Like what, why, yeah, why do you find yourself drawn to those stories? I just get, I don't know. I, I, do, I was bullied somewhat at school, but not excessively. So it's not like I have this big sort of vengeful thing against you know my bully or anything like that. But was was that mum or Sam? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good. Point. There's only there's only two good people point. you could be talking about. <laughs> don't make don't make me answer that question. Uh, <laughs> but it's like it's like. Yeah, I just I, I just personally get very wound up by I, I suppose injustice or people being wronged. And, you know, I would say that is probably uh, slightly um funny when you think about it, tied up in my Christian upbringing. You know, I mm-hmm. think I was mm-hmm. fed some really good aspects of what Jesus taught and, you know, a, a possibly a, a, a way to live that is good for you and others. And I think it, it might be tied up in that. It's a sort of sense mm-hmm. of social justice I have. I think it's also tied up in, yeah, I, I don't like it when people in positions of power over others abuse that power. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I sort of stumbled, I guess Tickled was the first story like that I'd really tackled in a really intense way. And, and David D'Amato was a sort of wealthy, prominent bully. And from there, I think I've just kept doing that. And when I hear of someone, it's always a man in a position of power and, mm. and, and who is bullying others, I just want to use the tool of journalism, which sounds very lofty. But mm. it is a, a tool and it, it's something I can do. And, you know, I, I have an audience on Webworm and they will get, you know, I, I'm on an independent little newsletter that I write to not that many mm. people. And that, though, can be the story on the six o'clock news on TVNZ or mm-hmm. News Hub and it can be, you know, front page of a paper. So it's a powerful tool and I think I can use that and I think bullies are a pretty good uh, target for me. I, I yeah, it, it levels the playing field a little bit. Mm. 
Mm. I mean, the fascinating thing with Web Women, one of the things I think that worked so well for that story is the fact that you could provide such frequent and regular updates. And so... Mm-hmm. With that kind of volume, it became evident that people began, and we saw the same thing through some of the alumni sites, that people began to feel safety in numbers because every, Mm, you know, as I said, we we have been contacted, you know, endless amounts of times by various people. And and one of the Mm. the things they say at the start of nearly every single communication we have is, um, this is the first time I've ever told anyone this. Yeah. It is, is isn't it? incredible how well that that kind of form of silencing works. Um, yeah, but the thing about uh, 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 yeah, and and they genuinely haven't. And, and yeah, I think we've talked on the pod before about the experience of going. Well, once once you leave, who do you tell? Like, you can't tell anyone from your old world because usually they've cut you off. You can't tell anyone from your. Yeah. You don't rock up to your new job <laughs> and say like you know you're suddenly making coffee and you're like to your barista beside you like oh by the way like i was part of this pretty intense thing like you just want to appear as normal as possible as if you've lived you the last 10 years yeah, of your you life yeah, <laughs> you know just having fun like everyone everyone else you don't exactly want to you know bring bring that up um and one of the things I think that Web was fantastic for and, and again the alumni sites as well of creating a, a place where people a knew that they would be believed, um, and mm-hmm. where they weren't alone because there was enough volume. Where you know, that's still we still get emails of people saying, "I thought I was the only one." That's the other thing that comes out mm. all the time. Yeah. I thought I was the only one. It, yeah. Everyone else in my world has either never experienced this or is so far deep into it they couldn't believe anything else. And so I thought I was the only one on the inside who's ever had any kinds of problems or even bad run-ins. It's incredible how many people don't know. That this stuff is happening at every single place like it all of the time, yet somehow those stories yeah. are kept quiet so that people don't connect the dots. Now, well, you're taught, yeah, you're taught not to Google things and to push into it, right? Because it's like you might be led astray. It's, it's just mm. simple thoughts like that. Plus, when you're in it and you hear bad things, you kind of, it's very easy just mentally to sort of put them aside. And so you do end up sort of isolating yourself because you just want to stay mm. in that world that you're in. But I think what, where, maybe it's sort of a boring point, but Webworm as a format is so perfect for this because it's really hard to just, you know, if you work in print uh, or on most websites, you get one go to write one article and it's kind mm. of all got to be mm. in there. Mm. Whereas with this, you kind of needed layers. You kind of needed to educate because I was writing for the general public. Mm. I wanted to write for yeah. people that didn't know about churches, you know, because t- mm. traditionally in New Zealand, most of New Zealand will know Brian Tamaki and they'll know sort of what he likes and doesn't like and they'll know what he looks like. But New Zealand didn't know, middle mainstream New Zealand didn't know about these mostly white male Christian leaders yeah. that were much more powerful than Brian mm. Tamaki. So I was writing it as if they knew nothing about any of this stuff. Um, And you need to lay the groundwork, right? I I couldn't just write one piece that included all of the crazy that was happening at Arise because you just, it would be too much Mm. and you wouldn't understand it. Whereas with when you've got a newsletter where you can write part one and then part two is going to come, part three is going to come. And that's something I'd kind of started doing a little bit on the spinoff. But the newsletter format just really likens itself um, it, it, it fits that model really well. And you could just lay the groundwork and build on that. And so by the time you got to the part of the story I was telling where, you know, rape allegations were being swept on the carpet or you had a leader getting his penis out, chasing an intern down the hallway, 
it made sense. You had context for mm. it, and I think that was really important. Um, and on top of that, just the way I work with this stuff, I made it very clear to people. I think when people are trying to tell a story to a journalist, it's quite scary. They have no control over it. That they're, they're, they're talking about something deeply personal that's going to affect relationships uh, and their future and possibly their eternal salvation. It's really hard just to dump it all on a journalist and then you kind of hope that the story works out. Yeah. Whereas with this, I made it very clear to people that they could – I just made the process clear to people I was talking to that they could – just because they were telling me something, that did not mean any of that was going to go anywhere. I just said, for me to understand, I need to know everything, Like put it all out on the table, and then together we can decide what you're comfortable with using it. But if I don't know everything, I don't know how to have this conversation with you. And that – that, and once I started doing that with a few people, I think they referred my process on to other people within the church and people became more and more comfortable sharing really horrific things and sort of feeling out with me how that would look and how it would appear. And I think that was, you know, having a newsletter that I was looking after, no editors, I, I was never worried about a, you know, an editor of a paper coming in and giving my article, I was happy with a terrible headline, warped <laughs> everything or a terrible pull quote. Yeah. Yeah. I had control over everything, and <laughs> yeah. that meant I could assure people that were talking to me how their story would come across, and I think that was a big help in getting the stories told. It seems like one of the other things that that format has done is very the normal strategies, which I think were being used initially, which is essentially let the news cycle run. Um, you know, if one big bad oh. article comes out, you say nothing, hopefully two weeks later everyone's forgotten about it. Um, oh, again, these internal emails I got from Arise <laughs> are all that messaging. Right, they're yeah. like, they're basically all like David Farrier. No one's heard of him. No one's reading this stupid um, <laughs> blog, Webworm. Just don't answer and it'll all be over. Mm. And that was what they were all, that was the messaging flying all around them um, as, um, as time went on. And yeah, that doesn't work when, uh, you know, my, in the newsletter format, it lets me embed emails and and replies mm. and lack of replies and all those elements that just doesn't translate into a written print piece in a newspaper or a TV news story where you've got to work with pictures. You know, I can sort of use all that in a newsletter format. And so the usual strategy of just stonewalling, which they effectively tried to do in some pretty interesting ways, it just didn't work mm. and it made it mm. worse for them, you know? One of the things that seems... Um it's really interesting to me and even talking to you as someone who's looking at this even though you've got a history within you know growing up within Christianity you're definitely looking at this story from the outside more more so than like mm. Shane and I have been um, absolutely one of the things that that's so interesting about this conversation I suppose is one of the things in mega churches that is like a a huge deal to mega churches and to their senior leaders is that they are spaces that are going to become so um big, successful and influential, that the city that they're in and that the nation that they're in are going to become wowed by what is happening and will say, tell us how you're so awesome. Um, like this is this is the like internal yeah. narrative is, right. and I'd say this kind of thing all the time, like in the space that I was in, one day when we become influential, if we just keep on this track, you know, everybody's going to come to us and ask us what to do about X, Y, and Z because we're going to become so influential huh. mm -hmm. and well-loved by everybody. Um, it feels like <laughs> there might be a gap between um, the self-perception 
of of how everyone's experiencing them versus like the actual perception of how maybe people on the outside are experiencing. Like, is that some? Have you noticed that kind of um, gap in perception, perhaps, in what you're doing? Yeah, I, no, I, I have. I mean, I think, I think, certainly in the mega church structure, the way it exists, everyone in it is just so deluded with how <laughs> the world sort of works mm. and how their their place in it from a wider sort of perspective from the rest of society um i think you know and i, I think well yeah I, I'd, I'd be beyond being like yeah i agree <laughs> i i i don't even know where to go with this because it is it's just they're they're operating on another planet i mean you have leaders walking in and everyone has to address them by name and pretty much bow down to them and you know and and the, the structure is in such a they just place importance on things that the rest of society or other Christians outside of that particular form of Christianity just don't give a shit about, yeah. and it just it comes across as sort of silly and um, and and pointless. Um, but you know, I guess from their mind, their recruitment drives and university campuses, they get enough people in the door, mm. and they feel like they are relevant to people because they're getting the numbers through. Uh, so maybe that just keeps their delusion sort of fueled. Um, whereas other churches are kind of struggling to keep people, they're at least getting new ones in the door mm. with exciting youth groups and free meals and movies and that kind of thing. Feels like they might not have won you over yet. Um. <laughs> no, not quite. No, not quite. They're not quite. They're not quite there. They're not quite there. I thought of signing up for the hooey that they're doing, um, but yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'll be curious to walk into a an Arise campus when I'm back in New Zealand and just. Um, Say hello and see how I'm, you know, how I'm accepted or greeted uh, there. I'd be curious what the reaction would be. Mm. Um, um, you well, would they would they try and save me? Would they would they call security? Would they pray to me? Would they yell at me? Would they be overly nice to me? I'd, I'd just be super curious of the response. They might not even know who I am. Mm. Um, that may large, you know, largely depend on what, which camp which campus you're in. Maybe it um, would. <laughs> <laughs> you you described this whole thing at one point as a portal to hell, um, mm. <laughs> which uh, yeah mm. we we have certainly gone through gone through times, not just in our own experience, but even just kind of like tapping. You know, Frosty and I have both lived outside of this space for a long time, and you know li live you know by and large quite blissful existences away from um, some of the dynamics <laughs> that we <laughs> hoped to leave, and uh, in you know um, not unproblematic, but you know faith communities that we find nourishing and heartening and, and and that and so to to dip our head back into this was yeah pretty a pretty harrowing thing and brought up a lot of stuff for us what what mm. got you through um particularly those you know darker months when you were kind of sitting with those you know a couple of thousand pages worth of google docs and um yeah like what what mm. sustained you through that yeah, it was it was horrible. I think I was already in a pretty mentally sort of weak spot because Mr. Organ that had been that the documentary I've been working on had also been pretty harrowing mm. in a variety mm. of ways. I was sort of mm. at a low when I came into a rise, and so great place to start. <laughs> yeah, it was great, really good. Refresh. I was surprised you didn't get saved actually, because that's actually prime, <laughs> your prime your prime candidate prime material. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, to be honest, I think. I think that um, anger fueled, a, got me through a lot of it. Mm. And I'd sort of been taught within Christianity that anger was sort of this thing you kind of have to pretend doesn't exist. But I think anger can, can be a, 
used for good um, in, in a way. And I was angry and that, that fueled the writing uh, and made me want to keep finding a way to tell the story while Arise is progressively getting worse and worse and worse throughout the whole process. But it's like I had really good people in my life I could talk to about it. I've got a couple of friends that I tell everything to and I've got a couple of them that have Christian backgrounds as well. Um, Hayden, who was writing some of those pieces with me, he comes from a Christian background. He got it. Um, and I had some other friends I could just really, um, yeah, express the, get it off my chest. And and that's everything. All, all I think a lot of people coming out of these mega churches, all they, once they have that one friend on the outside that can, that gives them that, that they, they'll be fine, you know. Um so it was that it was lots of um, disconnecting from it in physical ways, like physically going to a, a, a beach or doing something physical or big walks around Greyland, patting the neighborhood cats, de-stressing <laughs> that way, and um, getting a lot chased of, by the getting chased by the owners, getting chased getting by their owners, getting told <laughs> to get out of my house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of that. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's good friends and just physically just finding ways to stop. But it just lives rent free in your head, right? It's all it's yeah, all there all the yeah. time. I mean, my mm. thing right now that I'm trying to deal with, I've still got hundreds of pages of other churches like City Impact yeah. that are sitting there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, but I've been watching Peter Mortlock. Mortlock you know, he, he's left that church now, probably because he got a slight inkling that things could go bad. But you know, he he's deranged on Instagram. You know, he he is he is Trump, um, but a slightly wackier version. And you know his congregation is still in all the comments honoring him, and 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 that's I just feel like that portal to hell is just oh there's another portal to hell sitting right there, and um, I think the City Impact alumni page is doing really good work. I've got a lot of stories there. I haven't quite figured out how to tell them yet, how to wade back into it, but that's still there in my head, and um, I'd rather it wasn't there. I'd rather these institutions didn't exist. They need to not exist. I, I when I started this, I thought. There's a way for Arise and the city impacts of the world to sort of morph and to learn and to change. Mm. What Arise has taught me is that they're incapable of it. It's built into their DNA. If they choose to be something else, they cease to exist. Um, and they don't want that. Mm. And so nothing's going to change. So all those systems need to just not exist. Um, they're, they're horrific. Um, and it, and that's... Yeah, it's just a weird sort of knowledge to live with, isn't it? And I mm. admire mm. that. I mean, it's amazing what you guys, the stuff you get through your DMs must just be, even the format of, of Instagram and emails, it's just such a, just keeping logistically, keeping it all together and who said that and who said that and have I replied to that? There's mm. pressure to reply to things. You don't want to leave people hanging mm -hmm. after they've just sent you oh, 10 God. pages yep. of trauma. Mm. Yep. I'm not going to just, you know, I'm just not, there's a pressure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. You know, it's very different receiving an email going, you know, I've got some questions about Dark Tourist, you know, what about this? Very, don't feel a lot of pressure to reply to that. Um, I do feel pressure to reply to someone that shared something because I think I should reply to it and and with some thought. Um, so it's all a hellscape uh, and I just feel, yeah, the message I think we just need to keep getting out there or I want to get out there is that there is another way to live and you, your life doesn't crumble your relationship with um, uh, Jesus or God or however you think about that doesn't need to crumble. Um, you, you, it's all, you've been tricked in these big institutions and they're run by people who are very rich and 
you there's a life outside of that that's so much better and so much easier and life is short and to to have it connected to a sort of a cult-like organization that's controlling the way you live and enjoy your life and the way you treat others um, and the, the damage it's doing is just yeah get, get out and you'll have a better time <laughs> yeah it's um I know a lot of young people have been featured in a lot of these stories but I think perhaps the the hardest stories in some respects for, for me to hear have been people in their 50s and 60s who are only just oh, yeah. now realizing they've just done 40 years of of something that mm-hmm. they now don't they now realize was was terrible and mm-hmm. I've just yeah. spent all and, and, and have seen and have seen it in their children yeah yeah and all, yeah, and what do you do with that right mm. it's like there's a level of shame involved mm. in admitting that you're wrong about anything mm. and admitting that you're wrong about something that you've chosen to do for so long is really hard and yeah it's no I think it's awful mm. uh because there are people in there that have been in there for a very long time. Plus, they've got the guilds of indoctrinating other people and mm, mm. sending a whole new generation down that spiral. Mm. Yeah. Um, have you found anything, any, yeah. anything, like, <laughs> anything heartening or encouraging in this all? No. Or, or, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good. <laughs> no, no, finish your finish your question. We'll take, I'll try. We'll take that we'll one try. off. Or, or or just met or just met anyone that you've grown fond of in this whole process. I mean, I know you've had you know longer chats with you know, a bunch of the survivors of this stuff have got out, and yeah, just wondering what those relationships have been like for you. Like, um, I've met some really cool young people through this. There's been a few. Um, probably had some of them on your podcast. There's some young people that have come out that are just so smart and and have, I, I admire them getting through what's taken me like 20 years to figure out. They're getting through it a lot quicker and I think they're probably just more online and more connected and maybe more connected with their feelings than I have been. Um, but I met some super cool young people. It's super encouraging the way that they um, are engaging with this stuff and, and getting the message out and not putting up with the bullshit, you know, not being, you know, dealing with past leaders that have tried to wiggle out of accountability and just calling them out on their bullshit. I find all that really motivating and wonderful and great. Um, um, Frank Ritchie, who I actually met, he married a friend of mine. I met him years ago. Um but throughout that process, before he was, you know, brought on as any kind of reviewer um, into a rise, you know, I'd sort of engaged with him. And he was a re- reminder, you know, I sort of, hey, I hated Christianity um, for a while um, and what it represented. And I think he reminded me that it could be something else. And I really appreciated that because I think I needed to be reminded of that. And, um, I think he was, yeah, I'm really glad I've gotten to know him a little bit better throughout some of this process. Um, you know, I'm, he, I'm excited he's on the, it's annoying talking about it because it's sold out, but um, the Webworm panel I'm doing um, in November, you know, he's going to be on that panel um, and you're going to be on that panel. I and am. I'm excited bringing these people together. And, you know, the vicar of um, St. Matthew's mm. currently and Hayden, my co-writer, and all of those people on that panel I'm excited about. Um, Kitty Allen, you know, she's going to emcee this event. And I engaged with her because she went to Bethlehem College and I've engaged with her <laughs> through this. I'm excited to have met her on a different level um, and some other surprises at that event. I've met lots of encouraging people that are pushing back or also people that are treating, I don't know, I, I appreciate Hayden Donnell and his sense of humor through a lot of this stuff because it's, it's all doom and gloom and it is a portal to hell, but... 
there's ways to sort of laugh through a bit of this and to kind of, <laughs> and I think you guys are quite good at finding the humor in this because it's also heavy. You've got to find ways to laugh and and kind of vent you at your own experience as well. And I think that's really important. Mm. Um, so there have been positives that have come out, more negatives. I, I, I hate all of it. Um, <laughs> I hate that these institutions still exist. I hate that Arise has learned nothing, 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 nothing nothing from this. Other churches are doubling down even more. Um, and that's just pretty frustrating because I think just objectively, it's not a big, it's not a big puzzle. You read <laughs> about this stuff. It's not difficult yeah. to grasp the problems. It's not, you're not trying to grasp sort of some weird tax fraud story or some sort of white collar crime. Very clear what the problems are. And to see these institutions just, um, blatantly deny it, uh, reality is, is yeah, I find it very frustrating, <laughs> very frustrating. You're a bit like a sweaty forehead just talking about it with you now. You know? <laughs> clammy hands. <laughs> yeah, the clammy hands are come. Uh-oh. But look, unless unless this work is done, and you know, we are profoundly grateful. I think we were very early on in this in this series, which was just going to be one little chat between Michael and I yeah. about this and sort of morphed into yeah. this monster that it's become. Um but we we express gratitude and would like I'd like to express gratitude yeah, again for, sure. for your part in this and in chasing this down because you know as people who you know we have very mixed relationships with the church ourselves but still hold some hope that you know a mm. message of of enemy love of um, universal belovedness of um, the reversal yeah. of systems of power that 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 stuff and our spirituality is worth hanging on to unless this stuff gets named over and over and over again until it doesn't exist until it's repetition I, I th- mm. yeah i think the thing that drives me crazy is that it's is that um this stuff is normalized is that this stuff has yeah. it gets to say we are the church in a way that marginalizes other parts of the church and makes them feel embarrassed to say that they're the church i mean, oh, I mean that's the easiest the, that's that, that's the catch 22 of what i think some of these places are doing you know and i think we've probably all spoken about this i've written about it how i think the number of people that have turned off Christianity, you know, if their grand scheme is saving souls and getting them to heaven, um, they've failed because I'd argue the number of people they're turning away and mm. damning to hell for all eternity is much higher than they, th- they think it is. <laughs> uh, I would love to see a spreadsheet is all I'm saying, yeah, would, of de-salvations. Of de- you, know, you know, when I first started writing about Arise, the, most of the articles were sort of glowing. They've just opened a new congregation and this is they got this many yeah. people and wow, I'm glad it's somewhat more truthful now. Um, and there's the other angle, you know, a big criticism from people within the church when I was writing this stuff was, you know, why aren't you also saying the good stories? <laughs> and, you know, that that's... Um, yeah, I, I won't, if you don't understand why that that's not something I need to be doing, I, I'm not going to explain it to you here. But, you know, th- I, I'm glad that these stories have been told now so people can see the reality of the situation. They can find the good stories if they need to. Those are being pumped out by Arise's press team all the time. Their Instagram page is like an alternate reality um, that is just uh, completely misleading. Uh, Sounds like a really good place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I guess my maybe as we bring towards a towards a finish. But I think my my kind of encouragement. I'll, is, I'll get the keyboard. Oh, you, yes, please do. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Um, just as every head's bowed and every eye's closed. That's what that's what you always say at the end there. Um, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, that one. If you look behind you, David, you'll find someone's come alongside you, just willing to lead you in a prayer. Uh, <laughs> It took us a lot to get someone to LA, but we did it. <laughs> no, it has been, I think, early on, like 
like just realizing how widespread and systemic this stuff is is really important. And so I don't necessarily have hope that these institutions are going to change, but I hope that a growing awareness can happen at a different level, perhaps. You know, I I was so much a part of the system. I remembered hating and being disgusted by gay people. Um, I remember that thought, what it was, um, and believing it and why that was okay to believe that. Um, I remember at one point me wanting to tithe so much more than... T- I don't know what the message was at the church I was at, but at one point I was going to basically give all my money I had at that moment to the church, and my parents actually came in at the time and said, don't do that. Mm. Even though they were part of <laughs> that church, and we, I think we all probably did tithe 10%. They had some a lot of sanity in there, being like, "No, maybe mm. save that for university <laughs> to go towards mm. that." Or you know, um, I was so much a part of all this way of thinking and thinking I was right and everyone else is wrong. So I, I get the temptation of having that reality all laid down and being a part of that. But again, yeah, once you're out, you you see the the bad a lot more a lot more clearly, mm. and the good comes out in droves. You know. Mm. Mm. Well, look, yeah, as Shane said, I think, like, we're, <laughs> look, you've, you've, you've spurred a, a, a whole year of in the shift with your work, so that's something Good. for us to be grateful for. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, no, we'd no, have I'm nothing to talk it. about. I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, you guys are, um, it's neat seeing how you can navigate this area um, in a, a slightly more, I guess a slightly less angry way or just a slightly more open way to, um, well, you've got, yeah, you're a bit more, I think you're playing to, to your your sort of your audience is made up of uh, probably a lot more Christians than my audiences mm. or churchy people, people navigating this. So it's really neat how you don't isolate people from the conversation uh, and the stuff you're raising is just also really fascinating. Mm. Um, and I think what's really interesting is just how universal everyone's experiences yeah. are. And you you know you think you have had this unique sort of weird experience, and but everywhere it's amazing how identical everything is. Even again, thinking about this the sex education you get in a lot of these systems, it's all we're all so similar, and and it's kind of remarkable and a little bit funny in hindsight looking mm. at how similar all that stuff is. What we've been told, and I think those conversations you guys are having are. I'm finding them super in- engaging. So I'm glad that I have spurred in a small way you on <laughs> because I'm now a, f- a fan of what you do. So it's an all it's all a big circle. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Thanks for chatting to us for in the shift. Um, you've got some you've got some stuff coming up. Um, you've got Doco coming out. Yes, do you busy. Just tell us, yeah, tell us I've got, anything about that? Look. I mean, yeah, Mr. Organ opens in New Zealand cinemas on November 10. Um, we're up against a small film called Black Panther Part 2. Not um, heard of it. Doesn't sound important. <laughs> so, now all if I could have any tiny plug would be like that opening weekend, like November 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. If you want to go and see Mr. Organ, go and do it then because mm, it'll mm. Um, it'll be really helpful. But now other than that, I, you know, I'm going to keep writing Webworm and I always, you know, all my reporting on Arise is free. You know, there's a paid version, but none of that stuff will you'll ever need to pay for. So, you know, there's a good community building there. Um, so follow Webworm along if, you, if you're if you not. Um, it's where a lot of my work goes. Check out Mr. Organ. Um, and, yeah, thanks for having me on your show. I don't do a lot of other podcasts, and but your one I just would clearly want to talk on. And, I again, I'm just so sorry I haven't been as probably as... Um, well versed as many of your guests. Look, there's, 
Uh, it wouldn't Can be, you hear it wouldn't be having a New Zealander right on the podcast without them finishing by saying sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we're, uh, we're no, deeply you. grateful yeah. for your work. And, uh, and yeah, I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to Mr. Organ. I'm not sure when it's coming to Australia, but I'm sure you'll personally email me to let me know. Um, I will. And, and I'm gutted to be missing the webworm live. Um, I think it's very xenophobic to, you know, not have... <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. We're going to record audio. We are going to record audio of that Webworm panel on Mega Churches, um, and I'll release it as a podcast over Webworm. So yeah, nice. You will get yeah. to hear that. But yeah, Look I'm very excited about that. I really love it's happening in a church. Um, I love the panel, mm. and it'll just be a way to vent and talk about some of the stuff over the year that we've been talking about. So yeah, looking forward to it. Nothing like group therapy. Exactly. Right. exactly. Thanks, David. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. So that was our conversation with David Farrier. Thanks as always to Reese Michelle for his masterful manipulation of the audio to make this listenable to your ears. Until next time. <laughs>